Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning is from Esther chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagites, and advanced him and set him seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Azuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast her, that is the lot, before Haman determined the day in the month, until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let it to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. We now come to this third chapter of Esther this morning. And last time we left off with Esther finding favor with the king. And the king and Esther got married. But the older cousin Mordecai and the guardian of Esther is still cautious, though, still watching out for her. And one day, Mordecai is hanging out by the, the city gate, and he overheard a couple of guards plotting to kill the king. So Mordecai tells Esther about the plot, and Esther goes and tells the king. The king investigates and finds out that it is true. These men were plotting to kill the king. So he has these men that were plotting this execution or the assassination of the king. He has them executed. And Mordecai has his name wrote in the book of the Chronicles for the king. And that's an important part of the story to note for later on. Sometimes we read through the Bible and there's just these little details and you think, What's that for? Why do we need to know that? 
But it doesn't show up until later on. It's like, oh, now I see why that's in there. So the king decides he needs to ramp up his security a little bit. And he puts this guy by the name of Haman in charge of his security detail. And the people were to bow down and pay honor to Haman because of his position. He was like the right-hand man. He was like second in command, in charge of the important things, especially security. But Mordecai would not bow down to this man. See, Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin, and Haman was an Agagite, a descendant of King Agag. And the Agagites tried to exterminate the Jews about a thousand years before the time of Mordecai and Haman. But the feud was still fresh in their blood, fresh in their minds. They still knew what each other family background, which other's heritage, which each other's ancestors tried to do. So Mordecai would not bow down and show honor to Haman. Some of the other guards that saw this tried to warn Haman, or tried to warn Mordecai. And they questioned him about it. Why, why don't you bow down and show honor and respect to Haman? Mordecai replied that he is a Jew and he would not bow down. And he was pretty much implying that he was obeying the second commandment, which forbids idol worship. And after talking to Mordecai several times, the guards finally bring Haman's attention to the situation. And Haman was filled with anger. He was filled with wrath, with fury, with resentment, with hatred. But Haman doesn't just want to punish and make an example of Mordecai. He wants to punish and eliminate and exterminate the entire Jewish population. As I mentioned before, God's name is not really mentioned throughout the book of Esther. But his hand, his presence, is shown throughout it. So while he, his name isn't mentioned, we know he's there working. But the same holds true for Satan. This isn't simply Haman wanting to try to exterminate the Jews. It's Satan's hand at work trying to destroy God's chosen people. So Haman goes to the king and says, hey, there's a certain group of people that refuse to obey your laws. Issue a decree to have them all killed on a certain day. We'll gather up all their possessions and we'll take them into our treasury. Well, the king, as usual, doesn't really ask any questions. He simply makes the order to have these people killed in one day all around his country, all around his kingdom. The king didn't know these people were Jews. And furthermore, he didn't know that Esther, his wife, was a Jew. The decree was made, the decree was sent out, and all the towns went crazy 
the people went crazy with confusion. They were confused because they couldn't figure out why this certain group of people was hated by the king. Why would the king do this to these Jewish people? And who's next? If he can do it to the Jews, then he can do it to us. So they were confused. They were going crazy. What's the king doing? Why would he kill his own people like this? And that's where our scripture ends this morning. But what can we learn from this? Well, for one thing, it seems like political leaders maybe rely on their advisors a little bit too much. It's definitely a good idea to have advisors, whether they be a political advisor, a personal advisor, a business advisor, a spiritual advisor. But we all need to make decisions for ourselves. We are ultimately responsible for ourselves. We need to make sure that we have all the facts straight. And we need to ask the right questions. Maybe the king could have asked Haman, well, who are these people? And do a lot of them disobey your rules? When did you see this happen? Was it just one time? Did you talk to these people to find out why? Is there a problem with them? But that's not what the king did. The king said, okay, sure, make a decree, kill these people, move on to the next step. So we need to have all the facts. We need to ask the right questions. We need to think for ourselves once in a while. And when we do stand up for what we believe in, we truly need to know exactly what it is we're standing up for. Mordecai had his beliefs, and he stood up for what was right. And he was willing to pay whatever price was necessary for that belief. And when you're standing firm with God, and you're doing what is right in God's eyes, He will stand there with you, supporting you, strengthening you, and taking care of you, and seeing through, seeing you through the situation. Today the world puts tremendous amount of pressure upon us to compromise, to bend on our convictions. The world says, let's sit down and let's have a dialogue about this topic. Let's sit down and let's talk about it. And we'll try to come to some type of agreement based upon our discussion. This is what the world is like. It tries to get us to bend our beliefs and start to think more like it. And I always find it interesting, conservatives and liberals, liberals are supposed to be more open-minded. So whenever I'm talking to someone that is a little bit more liberal, and obviously I'm a, a little, quite a bit more conservative, they kind of, if they say something to the effect of, oh, you need to be more open-minded. I said, okay, well, is that what you are? Well, yes. Well, then why don't you see it my way if you're open-minded, right? If you're claiming to be open-minded, then you see it my way. But it doesn't work like that. They want me to compromise my beliefs. And that's what the world wants to do. Is that what Jesus did? Did he compromise his beliefs? Not at all. 
some people like to to twist and, and they and they make Jesus out to be this you know this great wonderful man who was a healer and who loved everyone and never held firm to anything. He just was you know a, a happy go lucky kind of guy. And yes, he was a wonderful man. He was a, a great uh, healer, uh, teacher. Those are all true. But when people were wrong, he rebuked them and he told them he was, they were wrong. He didn't sit down with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes and hash out an agreement with them. He didn't say, oh, okay, I, I see your point. Let's, well, if you accept this part, you know, I'll take this and I'll agree to this. No, he didn't do that. It wasn't a compromise. It wasn't an agreement. He stood for what was right. He did not compromise. And sometimes when we're holding true to our beliefs, we'll need to make sacrifices. We may have to give up worldly activities. We might have to give up hanging out or associating with some friends or people, maybe even family members. You know, let's say you have a great job as a, maybe a nurse or an assistant working for a doctor. And one day, this doctor says he's going to start to perform abortions. And you, as a Christian, are against abortions. So what do you do? Do you compromise your beliefs and help the doctor? Or do you walk away from the job? Sometimes it's tough to do what is right. It, it may mean making difficult life decisions. But as we live for God, we should make the choices and the decisions that He would want us to make. It won't be easy, that's for sure. We might be harassed or persecuted, but that should be expected. After all, wasn't Jesus killed by the world? And if the world hated him, won't it hate us too if we're here representing him? And one final thought this morning. None of us is perfect. None of us is perfect. And sometimes we do give in. Sometimes we do waver a little bit and make compromises. And chances are they're not, you know, life-giving, earth-shattering compromises. But it's not because we want to. It's because we are weak. Sometimes we give in to our temptations. And especially it's easy for us to fall apart and to crumble and to give in when we try to stand for something on our own, we need to rely on Christ. All things are possible to him who believes. We need to speak the truth, but we speak it in love and stand firm with God. You think about the life of Peter. When Jesus was arrested, all the apostles scattered. Peter denied the Lord three times. He didn't stand firm in his belief, in his conviction. He knew who Jesus was. He affirmed it. He said, you are the son of the living God. But that night Jesus was taken. He scattered and he denied Christ three times. But after that, Peter realized what he did. He wept 
And he stood from that day on. He stood firm in his beliefs. And according to tradition, he lost his life because of it. Tradition tells us that he was hung on a cross. But before that, he had to watch his wife be executed. And he kept telling her, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. So, we stand firm in our faith, and we too need to remember the Lord each day. Let's close with a prayer. Lord, help us to be strong. We thank you for giving that strength to us and give us the courage to be loyal to you and to stand up for what is right in your eyes, even though it may cause us embarrassment or persecution in this world. We do this not for our own ego, but for your honor and for your glory. Amen.